what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. My name is Alan, and with me, as always, is Chris. Hello. Chris, how's it going? It's going well. Uh, yeah. It's been a while. We've actually uh, come out the other side of our festival. That's true. So, we uh, finished our 2017 Foot Candle Film Festival just a few weeks ago. So we'll uh, maybe inter- drop in a few little kind of follow-up notes on the festival. Overall, big success. But it did cause us to delay on the recording schedule for this episode just a little bit. So it's good to have you back, Chris. Uh, good to around, be here. Around the recording table as we jump into today's episode. And let me tell you what we've got in store for today's episode. We actually have three films that we're going to be reviewing in kind of a hodgepodge way. Chris and I are going to be reviewing together a film called Marjorie Prime, which uh, you may not recognize. It uh, didn't get a whole lot of attention, but it is one that Chris and I recently caught up with and did want to share some thoughts with you on. Then we're going to flip over and let uh, me give a review of the latest Tom Cruise film, American Made. And then Chris is going to review the latest uh, sci-fi epic starring Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford. You got it. It's Blade Runner 2049. Did I get the year right? Yes. Awesome. So that'll be the three films that we're going to talk about. Then we're going to move into some movie news for a couple of items. And we're going to end up the show with our recommendation of a film we think you ought to check out. One from the past, one from the archives, something we've caught back up with recently and would like to share with you. So, Chris, does that sound like a plan to you? Yes, it does. Let's well, do let's it. Let's go ahead and get started then. We're going to jump right into our first review, which is the film starring John Hamm, uh, Gina Davis, and Tim Robbins. It is called Marjorie Prime. It's just Walter. I still don't like it. What? Dad's been dead for 15 years. Does it bother you that your mother's talking to a computer program or that a computer program is pretending to be your dad? Well, you're a good Walter. Either way. Thank you. Creeps me out. It's how she remembers him. I don't want to get you in trouble. You learn I like that. She's nicer to that thing than she is to me. It's your father that she's being nicer to. Marjorie Prime is a film that, Chris, you and I basically stumbled across. I mean, it's not anything I'd actually heard anyone else talk about. Uh, we saw that it was getting some some good reviews from some high-level critics. We also saw that it was uh, available uh, through a streaming services. Mm-hmm. And it had some interesting top-level names involved uh, from an acting standpoint. So you and I on a whim said, hey, let's give it a shot. Why not? And that was an interesting choice. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about uh, the film with you. But let's tell everybody what the film's about first, because uh, it's probably not a plot synopsis many people are familiar with. So Marjorie Prime deals with a, uh, a service in the future where you can have holographic representations or recreations of deceased loved ones available to you to help support the remaining family members through uh, trying to deal with the loss. So we have uh, actually an actress I didn't even mention in the list of actresses at the beginning, Lois Smith, playing Marjorie. Lois Smith is an actress that's been around for a really long time even as far back as 1950s, working with James Dean in East of Eden. 
Uh, then we have John Hamm playing Walter, one of the said holographic recreations. Gina Davis and Tim Robbins play a married couple, Gina Davis being Tess, who is Marjorie's daughter. The film really centralizes around these relationships between these four people, both some virtually and some not, and uh, has a lot to do with the idea of memories and how we interpret those memories and how those memories get passed along to other generations. So, Chris, as I mentioned in the setup, this film was really kind of a surprise for us. It was one that we did stumble across. Again, I, I think it made maybe $20,000 in a very limited release in a few, few select theaters, if I remember reading that correctly. So it's not a film very well known. It's not a film many people are talking about. Uh, but it does have some, some bigger names in terms of actors and executive producers behind it. Given that it flew under the radar so much, uh, I'm just going to lay it out to you pretty simply. Is this a film people should even bother trying to go seek out and find? Uh, because it is something you will have to go hunt for. Or is it best left dissolving into the internet ether <laughs> as a, just one of the thousands of films that are available if people just happen to stumble across them? Is this a seek out and find? Or is it a eh, let it go and, and see if you stumble across it yourself in the future? Yeah, I, I would definitely encourage people to, to seek it out. It's the type of film where, in this day and age, so many movies get released. You know, the fact that it didn't make that much money in the theater, I can see why. It's it's hard to go up against American Made or Blade Runner 2049. This is, you know, it's a smaller independent film. Um, something that is worth mentioning is it's based on a play. Um, and actually, it was the guy who wrote it, he won a Pulitzer for it. So, mm -hmm. you know, it was a well-respected play. Um, Lois Smith apparently had the role. She played the role of Marjorie when it was on the stage as well. Correct. So, um, you know, a lot of people may find it confining because it is very stripped down. It's, you know, the actors you mentioned, there may be one or two others, but it's basically set in this house. It is pretty much confined to that house. Mm -hmm. And it's very talky, <laughs> um, like a play would be. Um, so, you know, it's so it's not everybody's cup of tea. I remember yeah. when movies like Doubt came out and people talked about how that had been a play and it was transferred into a movie and people felt like they didn't really take advantage of it cinematically. I feel like there is some good cinematography at work in this play. Mm -hmm. Um, or in this play, in this movie. See, already, already it's, slipping. It's still but, resonating as a play with you. Yeah. Right. It, and it, but to me, that's not a bad thing. Um, it helps that I think all of the actors here bring their A game. Um, I guess it doesn't hurt that Lewis Smith's had some rehearsal time because she's been doing this play for a couple she's of years. She's known the part for a little bit longer <laughs> yeah, than the others. She's known it. Mm -hmm. But um, the others just... I just feel like they really mesh well together. Tim Robbins and Gina Davis's husband, wife. I like their chemistry or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of works. Mm -hmm. John Hamm coming from Mad Men. I mean, I never really watched that show. I did watch it a little bit. Uh, he was in the movie we reviewed a couple of reviews ago, Baby Driver. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, I like him, but I've never really grasped onto him as somebody that I really like. You know, I guess maybe you can kind of say he just plays a modification of his Don Draper role. I don't think that's true. Maybe that's you know kind of giving him a slight. He does seem to be a little more typecast in a lot of the films he's been in since since Mad Men. It hasn't quite established that film career that I think you know a lot of people expected he would. And I think this gives an example where it's something different. Is it a disadvantage that his AI personality is named Walter, which is the same as Michael Fassbender in the Alien movies? 
Yes, that immediately. Oh wow, I didn't even. That make was that immediately connection. jarring to me. I was like, oh my gosh, oh. wow! I because you know that. he's playing AI, and that, you know, but it didn't didn't you know I was able to put that away okay. and enjoy the movie. Um, just, just watching him do his own take on AI, I thought, and whether it was written on the page, but I still think the facial expressions he brought in, the mere fact there was a phrase he would repeat whenever he was taking in new information. Mm-hmm. He would be corrected by one of the family members. No, this, this happened this way. He said, and he would kind of have this little head nod or bob down. And then he'd look back up and say, I will remember that now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just the way he said it and you're not in a robot voice, but just something about his tone, his inflection. I, I just feel like he did a, a really good job. Agreed. Um, Something, too, that I will say, this is a low budget, not low budget, but it's a meager production budget. Production-wise, it's a low budget. I think most of the money probably just went to the four, the, the three main you know, sure. actors that commanded probably some higher dollars. But from a production standpoint, it was a relatively modest little budget. Yes. Right. I, I thought you hear the premise and you watch the trailer and I feel like I already know where this movie is going. And it was kind of surprising in that I enjoyed seeing John Hamm give his take on AI, and I wasn't expecting to see other takes on other AI. Takes. Yeah, and I don't want to get into spoiler territories, but that was cool to see. Um, I, would, I was, thought that would kind of surprise me. So, um, how what were your thoughts on it? Um, yeah, I, I've seen this film one and a half times <laughs> because right. I saw it a, a full time at our screening and then I saw half of it for the second night of our screening that I was able to attend. Yeah, I, I think I really love this film. I, uh, it, it worked for me and, and it was – I love any film where I don't know where it's going to take me mm-hmm. and this film did, did that very nicely. I thought I had it figured out about a third of the way in where it was going to go. And then it really changed gears a couple of times and um, ended on an extremely uh, powerful is not the word for it, a very enlightening moment hmm. that caused me a lot of thought and conversation afterwards, which again, I, I've said on the show many times, if a film can get you thinking and talking afterwards and wo- you want to think and talk about it, right. it's a good sign. Um, I think there were some production level things that didn't work as well for me, mainly with pacing and editing in the second half of the film. I felt the film was a little more rushed trying to hit certain beats in the second half. And I wish it had taken its time. It was a relatively short film. It was only about 95 minutes. Right. I think honestly, this is a film you could have pushed out to two hours. It would have been slow. It was slow in the first half, but I appreciated it because I think this is a film where you're absorbing dialogue. You're absorbing reactions to one another probably more than any film i've seen in a while you're watching to see how people are reacting to the dialogue that they're that they're being fed and i could have dealt with a little bit longer of that especially in the second half i felt the second half was just a little rushed to get to these two or three beats that they had to hit um yeah i i can see i can see that um I, i don't consider it a fault of the film it's just something where i you know by the second half, I'm just like, okay, we're we're going at a much quicker pace True. than I felt like we should based on the first half of the film. Because I was really comfortable with the pace in the first half of the film. Felt like it was just a little too speedy in the second half. But did not prevent me from still saying that I really, really do admire this film. Well, I wonder if 
you know, who knows? Because I have not seen the play. But I wonder if that's something that was not handled in very well in the translation from stage to screen. Well, because no. to me, if you were to kind of set out what you're saying, it was like the first act was basically one big beat. Yes. And then the second act was like something happened, something happened, something happened. It was just like, which was cool because then, you know, it kind of woke you up and kind of oh, yeah. kept you moving. But in a way, the pacing could have been more evenly handled. It was like if you had, I really see this film as in four acts. Okay. And act one seemed to be half the movie. Okay. Act two was like a half of an act. And then act three and four were really like quick little slivers. Right. And I just, I would have loved to have seen those other three acts fleshed out more and, 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 and just absorb them more. Sure. I think it would have been more impactful for me that final there is a final scene to this film, the final two or three minutes that I, I believe, and I know you do because you, you and I did have a brief talk about this after seeing it. That final two or three minutes is really, really impactful and just made the film a, such a much more cohesive uh, product. I would have appreciated those last two or three minutes even more if the preceding couple of acts had been more fleshed out. I got you. So it would have made that last two or three minutes so much more wow, they just really pulled this all together. Uh, as it is, it was still an impressive move at the end. But uh, I, again, that's my only complaint is I would have loved to see the pacing evened out a little bit more across the film. I can um, see that. But I will echo what you said about the actors. I think they all brought just their A game as well. Tim Robbins, I like Tim Robbins as an actor, but I really, other than Bull Durham and Bob Roberts, I can't tell you anything of his that's really stood out to me since the mid or late 80s. This was a really good performance by Tim Roberts. Probably the best mm-hmm. I've seen in quite a while. Um, I know I, he was in Mystic River. I know he did some other really big things, but this was this was a role that really stood out for me. I mean, I haven't really thought of him since like Shawshank and Hudsucker Proxy. Shawshank Redemption, sure. So right. yeah, I'll say Shawshank and Hudsucker Proxy and some others. But this was this was this is later Tim Robbins. Oh, probably absolutely. one of the best later Tim Robbins films I've absolutely. seen. Absolutely. Uh, Gina Davis is another person who seems to be kind of going through a little bit of resurgence. She's been in the uh, Exorcist TV show, which is actually kind of widely regarded as a pretty good show right now. And she's playing a role in that. Okay. Um, But to see her on screen in a big, uh, in a feature film was really nice. And then John Hamm. I I like John Hamm as an actor. I do think he's kind of forced into certain roles, playing off his persona a little bit more than I'd like. This one kind of plays with that a little bit. I mean, it's almost like you want this character. He's to be charming. He's to be compatible. He's to be strong and handsome because that's who he's playing. But yet he's doing it from a very naive artificial intelligence approach, trying to learn. And I think he balanced that really well. I think he played it. I think he played the part extremely well. And the Lois Davis, you know, I don't know anything about Lois Davis. I'd never seen her in another film I, before. I feel like I've seen her, but I know her as just like, not a character, but right. kind of background character. Probably person. not a big lead in a lot of big productions, but right. she was really, really strong as Marjorie as well. Um, and she had to change some style of acting throughout the film as well, which was an interesting change. And to see that happen, I thought was really well done. So I, I, I felt it was a great movie. is is a wonderful discussion film. Absolutely. Uh, it brings in a lot of interesting theories about memories and how we remember things, how those memories can be passed down or passed across family members and the distortion that can happen with those memories and how you can shape the way those memories are perceived. Um, just a really fascinating film. Uh, a film that left me with still with a few questions I haven't quite figured out yet. There's a couple of 
moments that the director and the, and the screenwriter chose to show or reveal some information that never quite made itself very clear what the intent was, but we know there's an intent there. So I've kind of taken it upon myself. That's now my research project is I'm going to figure <laughs> out what some of those things meant. But again, I love a film that didn't spell it all out for you sure. and tell you this is how you're supposed to feel and this is what this shot means. I, I want to go and think it through and really try to try to figure it out myself. So I, uh, I really, really enjoyed this film. What did you think about the music? You know, it was interesting. The music I noticed right off the bat was very jarring, somewhat disjointed, even though it was an orchestral score. It just never felt like it found the right rhythm. And I, I was wondering the first half of the film if there was something, if I felt like maybe the score wasn't working for me. But I actually, thanks to some of our Film Society members' input and my own thinking about it, I think it's very intentional. And I think it's meant to, there's a, there's a, a concept throughout the film about these AIs as you're talking with them. And they're there to soothe you and make you feel more comfortable. We also learned that they kind of control the music that's in the room. So you kind of imagine like a, a Google smart home connected, you know, that they can just tune in and out music as they want. So a lot of the music we're hearing is we come to find out is actually music that's playing in the room a lot of times, not just background film music. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it is and it's not always timed or, or hitting the marks on a music that we would expect it to in a film like this, I actually think it's kind of cool. It's almost like. The AI is trying to create a soundtrack for these people that they're trying to comfort, but it never quite gets to that comfort, comfortable level of a, of a score that we would expect from a film like this. Uh, yeah, I'd agree. I think the music is very interesting, and um, there's a lot of scenery of like beaches, or yeah. and you know they have this you know classical type score music playing. And you would think that that would be very peaceful or very restful. And it's not like it's loud, chaotic music, but just it's something about it. It's just a little off and it kind of unsettles you. And I think I agree. I think it was on purpose and it was like kind of conceptualizing the AI or framing the AI is like, yes, these look like real things, but they're just slightly off. And so the music kind of you know, played into that where it's like, oh, there's this beautiful music, but yet it's just slightly off. And the the AI was maybe generating it. It's supposed to help make people feel at ease, but yet it just slightly is offsetting. Yeah, no, I I agree. I agree. I've come to realize with this film, everything that we saw and everything we heard is extremely intentional. Sure. There's there's no unintentional shots or, or fragments of dialogue or anything in this film. So I agree the music, obviously there was something there that they were trying to create a certain feel and emotion. Um, extremely well-written film from oh, a dialogue definitely. standpoint. I think some of the, I, I could sit, the fact that I could be very comfortable sitting and listening to two of these characters have a dialogue, you know, I think in the beginning, the first, uh, the first scene we have is probably about you know, 10 minutes long. And I could have had it go on for much, much longer. It was just a really fascinating, well-written dialogue between all these characters. So um, I'm highly recommending this film. I think it's a, it's a little bit of a, a lost treasure that is out there. Um, the fact that it's based on the play makes me feel like that at least I don't consider it a, lot, a completely lost treasure. Obviously, the stage play was successful, and I think a lot of people got to see it. This film adaptation of it, I wish more people would have a chance to see it because I don't think the play is playing in many other cities other than New York, Los Angeles and some other key places. So I, uh, I, I really, really connected with this film and I'm actually kind of looking forward to seeing it again sometime soon. Yeah. I think 
I would highly recommend this film. The thing I would say is don't watch it late at night or because it is it is kind of you could say it's kind of slow. It's leisurely paced. It's leisurely paced, especially yeah. that first chunk you were talking about that's yeah. new but you really have to pay attention to mm-hmm. a lot of the dialogue because a lot of things that are said come back around Absolutely. and you, they're talking about memories and the more you can tune into what they're saying and how things change, it just is a more gratifying experience. So even though it is a lot of talking and you know, if you have to kind of pay attention, but I think you're well rewarded and specifically without going into detail, like you mentioned that last two or three minutes of the film is one of the best I think I've seen in a while. Not that there are other movies that are like more than this, but as far as actually making a very memorable last scene that's two or three minutes, a great like it ending. just all kind of just hits you and it's just really well done. And I think it's the acting, but as you mentioned, it's a culmination of the good writing that's all throughout. Mm-hmm. So agreed. And that is Marjorie prime. The great news is, is that it's available online right now. So you can actually go on Amazon prime. You can go on iTunes, anywhere else you can buy or rent movies and it's available to check out both Chris and I highly recommending this film. I feel like it's a great, it's a great one to have some other people watch with you and get in a great conversation about afterwards to, to see what you took away from it. So let's move on to our second review, Chris. And that is going to be a film that I'm going to be talking about and, uh, because you have not seen it yet, and I that is not. the latest Tom Cruise film, American Made. Top of your class in the Civil Air Patrol, a pilot like you shouldn't be flying buses. Welcome to Miami. Welcome to Bakersfield. Haven't you ever wanted something more, Barry? You should be serving your country. Your CIA. We need you to deliver stuff for us. Oh, this is legal? If you're doing it for the good guys? Woo! You are an airline pilot, Barry. That's how you support this family. This is going to be good for us. Is this all legal? You trust me? No. With American Made, we have the story of Barry Seal, an American pilot who became a drug runner for the CIA in the 1980s in a clandestine operation that eventually exposed the Iran-Contra affair. Of course, Mr. Barry Seal is played by Tom Cruise. The byline for the movie was based on a true lie. (laughs) (laughs) Alan... I've gone on record saying I am not Mr. Cruz's biggest fan. Yes, you have. Um, We've actually had some, Yes, I don't want to say disagreements or spats, but we have, well, disagreements will probably be a good word on it. So we yeah, can use I, that. I, I admit, um, Mr. Cruz, I liked him. I thought, you know, amazing in Magnolia. Yes. Um, I thought he was also really good in Eyes Wide Shut. Okay. Um, but it does help that in those two films, he also had a really strong director. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, otherwise, I can just kind of take or leave Tom Cruise. I'm kind of done with him in action movies or you know, stuff where he's running. <laughs> um, this is listed as a thriller, Alan. As you mentioned, I have not seen it. I want you to tell, convince me, do you think I should? Or not convince me, just mm-hmm. tell me if I should. How did you feel about Tom Cruise's performance? And... You know, because I feel like in any Tom Cruise movie, it's so distracting because he is the big star. He gets the top billing. He's like huge on the poster. Is this movie, would this movie be worthwhile without Tom Cruise? Would it still have been an interesting story? Tell me, tell me how you feel. Um, all right. A lot to unpack there, but sure. let me see what I can do. I think the movie is worth watching. Okay. Uh, it has its flaws. It has its issues. I think overall, though, it's an enjoyable film to watch. It's an interesting film to watch. It, it makes some creative choices I don't necessarily know if I agree with. 
But I do think Tom Cruise is probably the right part, was the right person to play this part. Okay. Because this character need, the way it's presented in the film is someone who's charming, someone who kind of is able to, to get by on charms and looks and appeal and personality. But Tom Cruise is actually getting a chance to flex his muscles a little bit. He He's playing a character that's not really the... He he's done a, it's interesting with Tom Cruise. He's, the last few films he's been in, he's had a little more of a history of not playing necessarily someone that's a likable character, which is kind of interesting to see. Obviously, uh, playing against the, the the typical Tom Cruise type, but Doug Liman's the director, and they worked together last on Edge of Tomorrow, which I thought was a really good film. And again, Tom Cruise was not playing a very respectable person, at least in the, the majority of the film, right. So he gets to kind of play with that same angle a little bit here. I mean, at the end of the movie, we don't like this guy. Okay. Um, we don't agree with the choices he's made. It's something where he gets caught up in a lifestyle that he could have put the brakes on much, much, much sooner, but chose not to. Hmm. So there's not tons to like with the guy. And I think that's why it kind of worked for me is that, you know, it's uh, Tom Cruise was pretty good in it. Okay. I, I thought he was good. I, he is not a Magnolia style performance. Um, I also thought Born on the Fourth of July was one of his better films. It's not to that level. Okay. But it was a good collaboration. I like the collaboration he and Doug Lyman seem to have. Now, from a Doug Lyman, the director standpoint, this film, there's two films I think this film reminds me of the most and okay. has some elements of both of those films that made it really good, but it's also the elements from these two films that I think is what trips up American Made a little bit more. Okay. Doug Lyman directed the film Go several years back. Uh, it was like one of his second or third big films, a film I love. I think Go is a, just a wonderful, wonderful film. And part of what made Go so great is the energy. It was just this constant energy and this constant changing your storylines and keep it, but still weaving everything together. American Made tries to do a lot with that too. We're playing with different timelines at times. We see some, kind of some things happening a little bit out of order at times. Hmm. And the energy level is constantly fast-paced in this film. I mean, it really is. It does not breathe for a second. So the two hours felt like they went really fast. It did. Yeah, okay. absolutely it did. And there's a lot going on. There's a lot of changes. There's a lot of plot lines. you got to really follow along to see what's, what's causing the next, the next action to happen. So from that standpoint, I thought it pulled pretty nicely from like Doug Lyman's work on Go!, but I think there's also it, it probably goes a little too far in that the film's almost so too high energy that it's it's it needed to take a break sometimes. It needed mm. to let you breathe and kind of absorb what was going on. It became really hard for you to connect with Barry as a character because they were going so fast from shot to shot to shot, scene to scene to scene. Okay. I never felt like I really got to connect with Tom Cruise's character. So I don't blame Tom Cruise. Okay. If this was a miniseries and he was getting to play the part and you got to really flesh out all the situations and what was happening, I think it would be a really interesting story to watch. Crammed into under two hours, it, it went really fast and it was trying to pack a lot in there. So it just really made it tough for me to, to connect with the character. Like, for example, there's some dynamics with the main character and his family that I thought would have been really interesting to play out more. But instead, we get quick little hit glimpses almost like just rapid fire at us that never really fit, makes you feel very connected with anybody in his circle of influence or he was involved with. So mm. it's a mixed bag for me. I do think it's worth watching. It's not a great made film, 
I wish it had taken its time a little bit more. I wish it would have honed in maybe on specific parts of his story and not try to cram his entire, from the minute he was a pilot doing commercial flights to the very end, which I will not spoil, but it took that entire multi-year process and crammed it into a very, very fast-paced film that um, I felt like just needed more room to breathe. Okay. I guess I was concerned, and you'll have to tell me whether or not this should be valid, I saw the trailer for the film and I was just like, oh, it's Tom Cruise playing like an assured cocky man. So instead of being in like DiCaprio and Wolf of Wall Street, this is Cruise in like a drug runner movie who's like doing that. And I just, it just didn't seem that interesting to me. There didn't Mm. seem to be a lot there that would be that interesting. It's like I've seen similar movies before about somebody who goes above the law and then ends up getting caught or something. You know, it's yeah. So no, there wasn't. That was, no, you're right. There wasn't enough there to make it a unique standout film. Okay. Honestly, you know, okay. Take the film Goodfellas. Okay. One of my favorites. If you recall in the in the movie Goodfellas, there is a portion of the film. It's probably like the last third or last quarter of the film. It's starting, I think it's starting to be in the late 70s. You know, it's kind of later on in the storyline. But there is about a 20 minute sequence where it is nothing but Ray Liotta's character going about his business from person to house to place to driving to doing this to doing that while all the time being paranoid because there's a helicopter he thinks is following him. Right. And it's all played out to uh, Layla, the, the, you know, the piano uh, or, or the, um, no, I forget which song it is. But anyway, it's all very, fast-paced, almost trying to make you feel this level of anxiety that, that Ray Liotta's character felt in that, that, that portion. Gotcha. I love that sequence of Goodfellas. It's so just, it just makes you nervous when you're watching it because you just feel like you're in the head of this guy and what he's going through. Right. They really wanted that to be what you went through for two hours in American Made. Okay. And in moments, it came close. Okay. But it never quite succeeded in making you feel quite the level of paranoia that this character I know was feeling the whole movie never quite showed it. So it was it was shooting for some high aspirations with the movie. It never quite hit it. Okay. I thought there was some interesting moments. I thought there were, it was a it's a fairly interesting movie to watch, but uh, it just didn't quite reach the heights it was trying to shoot for. It was doing the breaking the fourth wall at times. I mean, not Tom Cruise would narrate a little bit to you what's going on, just like Ray Liotta did in like Goodfellas. Narrate to the camera. Oh yeah. Okay. There's actually a, a, a device they use throughout the film where he's actually able to talk to the viewer through a device they use in the film that does play out in the end of the film. Um, so there are some interesting choices. That's why I think it's worth watching because okay. there were interesting choices. I think it is a, a fairly fast moving film. I, I just wish that. Uh, they were trying for so much and I just feel like it just didn't make it because they tried to cram too much, too much fast energy and not enough time to really get to know these characters or to breathe with it a little bit more. Okay. That, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, you have one sided, con- one sided reviews one-sided are always review. tricky, but you know, they are, um, and you didn't spoil anything. And, but what you have achieved and maybe for our listeners as well, I haven't seen this film. I am genuinely interested in seeing it. So I will put it in this category. Um, if it shows up on Netflix, ah. it's definitely worth watching. Okay. Uh, if it shows up, uh, you know, on Amazon Prime, if you have a Prime subscription, you don't have to pay extra for it. Absolutely. Block off two hours, it's worth a watch. Plunking down money to go see it? Oh. Um, okay. 
Maybe not. Not in today's society where we have so many other great choices to go out and spend your time on. But I do think it's worth catching up with if you have a chance to see it. If it kind of passes in your in your field of vision sometime in the near future. It is worth checking out for a while. Okay. Yeah. Great. Now we're going to turn the tides. And I'm going to – we're going to do the opposite because Chris has seen a film that I have not. I'm about 48 hours away from watching it myself. So I hope Chris's <laughs> review – doesn't diminish or raise my expectations more than they should. I'm going to try my best to not let them. But that film is Blade Runner 2049. Every civilization was built off the back of a disposable workforce. But I can only make so many. Happy birthday. There is an order to things. That's what we do here. We keep order. The world is built on a wall that separates kind. Tell either side there's no wall. You bought a war. Chris, I saw the very first Blade Runner uh, when I was uh, studying film at college. Okay. Uh, I had not seen it before. Uh, I think when it came out, you know, it was a rated R film. And, you know, I was kind of young when it came out. I think I was about 10 or so when it, I believe it was 82. Maybe it came out. Uh, something like that. Um, so I got to catch up with it at college. And I found it to be a really interesting film. Probably the fact that I saw it back when I did, when sci-fi films had not become quite so fast-paced and not quite so, you know, incredibly visually stunning for it to be more of a film noir just that happens to be set in the future with some visual elements that were kind of interesting at the time, it was probably a good time for me to see it. I did catch back up with the original Blade Runner just about a week or two ago because I knew I was going to be seeing the new one and I wanted to see the original again because it had been almost 20 years since I saw it. And for me, it still held up, but I also knew what I was getting into when I, when I fired it up to start watching it. And I looked at it not as a great science fiction film. I looked at it as an interesting film noir. I did see the director's cut, not the uh, theatrical release version. There's about three or four different versions of the film out there. Sure. So overall, I feel like I'm in a good mood or good prepped mode to go see Blade Runner 2049. Now, I know for a fact you caught up with the original Blade Runner not too long ago. And although you gave it a three out of five stars, which is not a bad film, you seemed somewhat disappointed by it when you saw the original again and caught up with it. So tell me how that set you up and kind of how that maybe influenced you going into this new one. Having seen the original, is this, this new one, as many people are saying better than the original, or do you feel like whatever frustrated you about the original just carried on to this new one as well? Okay. So yeah, I, I, I saw the, Kind of like you said, the 82 version, I saw maybe before college, but maybe not that much before. But I remember thinking it was cool. But then again, at that point in my life, I'd seen only a certain number of science fiction films. And this wasn't Star Wars. So (laughs) it was like, oh, this is something besides Star Wars. And it was R-rated. When I went back and looked at the film again recently, as you did, to prep for 2049, I was disappointed because if you stripped away the cinematography or the ideas of like just the cityscapes. Oh, there's a flying car. Oh, there are big talking billboards. If you stripped that all away, there just wasn't really anything to the movie. 
um, with the exception of at the Beg end. Beg to differ, but that's okay. For me. Yeah, sure, I understand. For me, mm-hmm. there really wasn't much there. Um, they're little set pieces of chasing down an android and killing it. Or, sorry, a replicant and killing it. Yes. Okay, but you do that more than once, it starts to get repetitive. The end of that movie, yes, there was a little bit of back and forth dialogue that, you know, there's rain and there's a little bit of philosophizing rain. going on. <laughs> there's rain. Well, there's rain throughout the whole movie, as there is in 2049, actually, too. But I just, there wasn't a lot revisiting it to hang my hat on, especially okay. when you'd already seen it. It was very, it was slow and kind of boring to me. Okay. Because you kind of know where everything's going. You know, it's, and it just, there wasn't anything for me to appreciate again. Fair enough. Now, switching forward to 2049. Granted, I have only seen this movie once, mm-hmm. but it takes what was good about the original, what I liked about the original, which originally I did appreciate its vision of the future. Mm-hmm. And that was still interesting now. It's like, but that was the only thing interesting about it. It still has, without just copying the vision that was in the original Blade Runner, this has touches of it. You can tell it's the same world, but it is slightly different. Um, I could appreciate that as well as this time I felt like there was actually a plot and a story that I wanted to follow along in. Okay. It still had little, you could say it had episodes, but there was more of a through line through all of them that was very discernible to me as well as without spoiling anything. Sure. I appreciate that. There are, yeah, there are twists in this movie or not twists, but there are, there are reveals that I didn't see coming and I'm glad I didn't. And where the film ultimately ends up was also kind of surprising to me. Really? Whereas in the beginning, whereas with the other Blade Runner, you know, it was just kind of this, I'm going to kill this replicant. Then I must go kill another one. Then, and that, that was it. It was very episodic and just didn't hold as a cohesive whole. This one, I think, does. Um, I feel like... I feel like there's a lot to appreciate, and this is, I guess, not blasphemy because other people are doing it too. I'll hop on the bandwagon that I like this film much better than the original Blade Runner. Okay, all right. Um, Harrison Ford's performance is better in this one than it was in the original. Granted, he's a lot older now. (laughs) Um, Ryan Gosling is good. Um, Yeah, I just, there's, let me see if I can get her name because there's a girl who plays a girlfriend to Ryan Gosling's character. Do, 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 do. Uh, Ana de Armas, never mm-hmm. seen her in anything else. She is, she's really good. Um, mm. Let me, let me ask you a question. So, yeah, sure. Do you feel like in watching this, this is, this is how I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I guess I'm just wondering in watching this latest one, does it, does it actually elevate the status of the original as almost like more of a lead in or set up story from the past? Because the one thing I will say about Blade Runner is Blade Runner is a much, much more slight film than I think a lot of people realize. I mean, like you said, the plot's pretty simple. It doesn't have a lot of beats to it. It's basically detective cop has to go hunt down replicants and he hunts down replicants. It's so only, the, right. la- it's only it's, the last one with Roy Batty, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's only but, him that actually gets a little bit meatier. But. I, the, you know, if, if it wasn't for what the director was really trying to intend when Ridley Scott did it and putting in the, the hints or questions, which, again, you do not need to give any feedback on whether this plays out the new one or not, but the hints or uh, theories that maybe Deckard, you know, the Harrison Ford character himself was a replicant uh, during the original. If it hadn't been for that, oh, it would have been a very, very watered down, just like, 
very rudimentary science fiction film. Right. But I wondered, can you almost look at the two of them together now and see the original one as like a prelude to this film now? You could, but I think you could also go into this film having never seen the first really? one. Really? Is it I mean, there good are, standalone? There are some things... I mean, it does the, at the beginning of the film, they do the whole text on the screen kind of giving you okay. like, you know, here's where we are. Um, there are some things in the film with Harrison Ford and some things that, that may make you appreciate it more if you've seen the original. But it's not essential. Probably not. And I wouldn't, oh, I definitely wouldn't say that impressive. this film helps elevate the first one. If anything, you're just like, you know, not that they would go back and remake it, <laughs> mm-hmm. but this film just has all the visuals, but has so much more. Um, so I, I, it would be an interesting thing if somebody went to see this and had not seen the original one. I mean, the summary that they give you on IMDb that doesn't spoil anything is a young Blade Runner's discovery of a long buried secret since sends him to track down the former Blade Runner, Rick Deckard, who's been missing for 30 years. So, you know, Rick Deckard is obviously Harrison Ford, and the young Blade Runner guy is Gosling. Gosling. So those are, you know, so because he's kind of doing the same thing that Harrison Ford did in the first one, and you could kind of follow that, you know, because it's not that hard, but it doesn't have anything more than that. This one has him retiring replicants, but there's something more to it because there's a whole mystery going on as well. That's what was for me, missing in the first one, it was just a sci-fi thriller. You yeah. know, is he going to live past these guys trying to kill him because he's trying to kill them? Yeah. This has stuff like that, but it's also a mystery. Like, what exactly is going on here? Okay. And that's what made me appreciate it so much more than the original. All right, another so, question I've got for you. And the music's not annoying, which is also a bonus. <laughs> so the director, Dennis Villeneuve, this is his follow-up. He did Arrival. yes. Uh, which you really liked. I did. He had done the film Enemy, which you really liked. If I remember correctly, Jake Gyllenhaal. Yes. Uh, Sicario. Yes. You really liked. Uh, Prisoners, I really liked. I think you thought were fine, but I really liked it. It's so tough. That's a tough film to watch. It is tough. <laughs> and I personally really liked I liked Enemy, although I think you liked it better than I did. Okay. Um, and I really liked Arrival as well. So... We've been saying that this guy's the real deal. We oh, are, yeah. we're, we're really happy to see him directing some, some interesting properties now. So Let him do episode nine. Yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Yes. Um, so my question to you is, uh, you know, comparing to some of his other filmography, how do, how do you feel like this is falling right now? Um, this is probably the best thing that he's made. Really? Um, I will say, you know, talking about if I had a complaint... It is two hours and 44 minutes. Yeah, it's a long one. Running time. And I feel like it suffers from that because I, I appreciate the story they were telling, but I felt like sometimes there were some sequences of flying through the city in a car or there were some landscapes of rain and you know, stuff like that. Mm. They could have been compressed down, but it did give you that whole feeling of in a world yeah. of Blade Runner, building the of isolation yeah. and the weather. And I, I get all that. But it just got to be a bit much, and I was getting a bit restless. So okay. running right. time it could have just condensed it down a little bit. I was feeling kind of frustrated. And walking out, I was just like, oh, the movie's okay. You know, it's definitely better than the original Blade Runner for me, but it's just okay. However, as you talked about with Marjorie Prime, the more I thought about it, the more I had discussions with people about it, the more I'm like, no, this really is, you know, 
this really is something to re- it's an achievement you know um the cinematography the acting is good they the elements all come together and i i think Denis Villeneuve has something to be proud of. And I've heard there are rumors that he may be interested in doing Dune, doing like a remake or a reboot of Boone. Dune, Boone. Boone. Dune. <laughs> um, and I'd, I would be interested to see that. I think for me, just he has a grasp of science fiction and how to okay. make it interesting and how to make it, even though he is a very visual director, he's able to do science fiction visuals, but still have a story. He's not just relying strictly on visuals. Well, so he is emerging as one of my favorite directors for consistency right now. So okay. I'm happy to, happy to hear in your opinion, he didn't drop it all with this one. So. If not, he might've even elevated it a little bit. So I, you know, hopefully I have not set too high a bar for this film. <laughs> no, no. But, I think everybody else in the world has probably set the high bar for this film. So I'm, I'm encouraged that at least you came out of it with some positive emotions because I know you were a little more down on the original Blade Runner after revisiting it. So that's, that's what I wanted to hear. That's good. I'd say maybe, you know, so running time is one, one thing I would give a low mark to Jared Leto. Yeah. His character in this, he kind of plays the new version of the overlord scientist, bad guy, Mm -hmm. um, Neander Wallace. I'm not saying it's his fault. I think he does a good job of playing creepy dude, creepy bad guy. But I feel like he was maybe underwritten. He didn't have a lot to do. Mm. So that was kind of a weakness. Not saying necessarily his portrayal, but just the character wasn't as impressive. But, you know, maybe they just weren't focusing on that. But uh, so, yeah, I would be interested to hear your take when you end up seeing it. Okay. So Blade Runner 2049, Chris approves. And for <laughs> yes. it being a science fiction film, sequel to a film he was lukewarm on, that's, uh, that's saying something right there. So, Last thing I'll say is I sure hope to goodness. Which, because critics have been high on it, but apparently box office has been kind of disappointing, I sure hope that they don't do a sequel to this movie. So you, you have no desire to see this world continue? No. Okay. You feel like this movie does what it needs to do in that world. And it was interesting revisit of the original, but had enough stuff that stood on its own. But I think we're, we're good. You're good. Yeah. Okay, awesome. That is Blade Runner 2049 playing in theaters everywhere. But as Chris said, not quite doing the box office that everybody had hoped it would. So if you're going to see it, uh, go see it. Uh, don't know how much longer it'll be around. And I would strongly suggest, too, if you're the least bit interested, unlike American Made and Marjorie Prime, we, we watched on our laptops, but or you can watch it on your laptop. Blade Runner, if you're interested in it, definitely see yeah. it in the theater because hopefully the cinematographer, um, he's the longtime cinematographer for the Coen brothers. Can't remember his name right now. Sure. No, I'm drawing a blank but, um, as well. But he's... I hope he's been nominated like a hundred billion times, which you'd think I'd remember his name. But anyways, I hope that he gets nominated for this film because his work Deacons, Roger Deacons, Roger Deacons. Um, there we go. So um, I think you can tell it's him. The cinematography is beautiful and you need to truly appreciate it. Seeing it on a big screen, the yeah. landscapes and everything is just, it's fabulous. So yeah, see it on the big screen if you're interested in seeing it. Well, I will make it a point. I will be seeing it, and I will uh, maybe maybe I can steal two or three minutes on the next show to give any counterpoint to your review if I have anything else to say on it. So, okay, great. All right, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Go check it out. Chris says American made. I say uh, it's interesting to watch, but maybe you can wait till it comes out on some sort of free platform that you don't have to pay extra for. 
And then in our first review, Marjorie Prime, we're both coming out very enthusiastically uh, wanting you to go out and see this film. All right, let's uh, take a quick break, Chris, if that's okay. Sure. And then when we come back, we'll hit just a couple quick movie news items before we cap off the show with our recommendation uh, for you, our viewers, something we feel like you ought to check out if you have the time. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Foot Candle Films. When you need a dose of entertainment chatter or just a good laugh, be sure to check out Chick Chat on The Mesh. It's girls talking about stuff, well, girls want to talk about. Celebrities, gossip, fads, boys. It's kind of the guilty pleasure of The Mesh Network. Here's a little taste of what you can expect. But you know what I always thought was really exciting? Is at the beginning of a new season... When the montage would change yes. and the people were like older or they had something new. Like when the- you got new Becky on Roseanne. Yes. <laughs> That's an example. Perfect example. You need to know. You can't just start shows and then new people are on there and you're thinking, what? what I needed about, the montage. What about on 90210? Okay. That 90210, it changed every season. It you know? did. And then they had the beach summer one where like. Where they the worked old- at the country club. Yes. yes. You know, and the, the opening credits had them like wearing bikinis and stuff and Uh then another one would be like when they're just in that white room and on chairs that swivel around right oh (laughs) yeah 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 so it's all even Baywatch when they change lifeguards absolutely they had new people running down the beach in red bikinis but you knew they're a new lifeguard (laughs) I need to get invested in that so come have a listen to chick chat on the mesh.tv you know you want to welcome back to foot candle films here on the mesh.tv uh, before we get back into our show, just to remind you, you are listening to this show on our podcast network called The Mesh, and it is a uh, collaboration of podcasts and shows and programs and different information that you can have access to at any time you want for free on the internet at themesh.tv. That is T-H-E-M-E-S-H dot TV. And it's all podcast-based. So if you're maybe asking yourself, what's a podcast? Maybe you're listening to this show right now because you either are playing it on a website or somewhere else. Podcast is an idea of a show that you can subscribe to. Almost like a DVR for online radio or audio programs or video programs. And the idea is that every time we put out an episode of this show, if you have subscribed to it, it'll be automatically downloaded to you. So you don't have to go hunt and find it on your own. And it'll be automatically on your podcast player of choice. Could be your cell phone, could be tablet, could be your computer, could be your Apple TV or home TV device. However you choose to listen to it, we can push the episodes right to you if you subscribe. So we do encourage you to do that at themesh.tv. And while you're there, check out some of the other shows and programs we have on the network that you're welcome to listen to as well and subscribe to any of those that, that uh, you know, uh, meets, your, meets your interest at the time. Chris, we just finished up our Foot Candle Film Festival just a couple weeks ago, and uh, we announced our winners from the weekend. We showed 33 films over the course of the weekend. I think we did a count on the number of individual tickets sold, and I believe we were over 2,100 tickets sold Awesome for the three-day weekend, which was great. So we had a really, really wonderful time. Anything in particular stand out from you from the festival? I mean, we're still kind of coming down off that, off that festival weekend high, 
But anything in particular you just want to kind of comment on or you thought was really interesting for the well, festival? I feel like um, we should give a shout out to the winners. So I'm going to run sure. down the winners real quick do here. So for best short film, we had Girl Hearted from Germany. And that was a documentary, a short documentary film. Best narrative feature length, we had As If I'm Crazy. And that was from the Netherlands, directed by Frank Lammers. I should go back and say Anne Shashank directed the Girl Hearted. Um, and that was a story about a guy who was an artist who went into a mental hospital. Mm-hmm. So, um, so then we had best documentary feature was prison dogs. And that was a by Perry Pelta and Gita Ganbir. And that was a documentary about prisoners who are asked to take on training dogs for, uh, war veterans with PTSD. So interesting story. Well mm-hmm. done as well. Absolutely. And then our audience favorite award was given to Purple Dreams, which is actually a documentary about a school in Charlotte, North Carolina, about them putting on a performance of The Color Purple. That was directed by Joanne Hawk, and it was it was excellent. So those were our four winners. Yeah. Um, of course, not everyone can be a winner at the film festival. Those were the True. four. but. I wanted to give a shout out to a film and I would encourage maybe Alan, if you wanted to give a shout out to a film as I well. Do that, that. So the one that I would like to uh, highlight is what children do. Okay. And that was a film that was a comedy that I had seen at river run and then asked, um, Dean Peterson was the director of that. And I wanted to bring it to our film festival. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was funny. It made me laugh. But then there's also some meanings about these two sisters who basically are coming back to their hometown because their grandmother is very sick. So you would think that's just going to be a downer about them kind of reconnecting, but it's going to be overly heavy, but it wasn't. And I just really appreciated it. Um, And I would encourage people. I'm not sure that it's available digitally yet, Okay. but when it does become available, check it out. So, I, I will say with the festival, I, I, I agree. It was, a, it was a wonderful weekend. Congratulations to the winners. Uh, I think we got some great feedback from attendees that people really enjoyed the films this year. And we had a great opening night reception after showing a batch of short films. We also had a wonderful closing ceremony awards dinner as well. And uh, thank you to uh, our special guest, uh, co-host of Film Spotting, Josh Larson, who came in and uh, spoke to our audience and spent a good part of the festival weekend as well, coming in and enjoying the films, too. Yeah, that was uh, nice. One film I will call out that I think, uh, despite the fact that we uh, uh, it started off the, the festival and it was probably one that not as many people got to see because it was during the work, the, the first day, very first screening. But it's a documentary called The Islands and the Whales. Okay. Uh, this is one that... It's a slow burn of a documentary, but it, it, it does exactly what documentaries, I think, are designed to do, which is show you a world, show you a culture, show you a lifestyle that you would not be able to experience otherwise and really understand what people who are in that situation or life or culture are experiencing. Sure. To me, this film did that. It, it, it's all about whale hunters up in the Faroe Islands. You know, whale hunting is their way of life. It's it's what they eat. It's what they thrive on. But a local professor is making some some claims about some health issues that are coming about because of marine pollution and other environmental changes that are affecting the food they're eating. And then you get the rest of the world deciding to come in and make a statement about animal cruelty and everything else too. So it's kind of a culmination of like you've got these different dramatic elements affecting this culture that has been so set in their ways for you know hundreds of years. I thought it was just a really incredibly shot documentary, beautiful to watch. 
And although it is slow and it is, you know, you're really having to kind of, you're really getting a great taste for what these people are, their daily lives are like. There are also some really, really intense scenes that kind of just jump up and, and really grab your attention and put you right in the thick of what some of these hunters and community members are feeling. Just a really well-made documentary. And it didn't give any clear answers. That's not the purpose of the documentary, to tell you what's right, what's wrong. You could come out of there feeling one of several different ways and emotions. That wasn't the purpose. You know, director Mike Day obviously was not interested in trying to preach to anybody. It was, here's all the situation. You come out of this feeling how you feel. And I think and, that's, you know, I agree. I, that was a very strong documentary. In today's day and age, it's hard. I mean, for a filmmaker not to go into making a documentary without an agenda. I mean, usually, obviously, they have something that's driving them to make this film, you know, so they're going to have an agenda of sorts. But what was so impressive was his ability to be very even-handed. Mm-hmm. And I, that's, yeah, it was very, you know, just appre- something you could appreciate about the film. Yeah. So that's just two of the films that we spotlight. I sure. mean, we've got several others that, yeah, you know, many of those films are just wonderful films we showed. So overall, we want to say thank you to all the people who attended. If you were a volunteer, if you were a supporter, if you were a, just a ticket holder, whatever your role was in the festival weekend, thank you. It was a great success. And we look forward to our fourth annual festival coming up next year. We've already set the date, September 28th through the 30th of 2018. So we will see you in Western North Carolina next September. All right, Chris, uh, let's hit a couple of quick news items. Okay. Uh, just a couple of things passing through the radar here before we move on to our recommendations. Sure. I always like uh, kind of coming up with something and I just have to throw it out there and see what kind of reaction I get from you. And then hopefully we'll hear from people outside of our show as well in the coming weeks. There is a new film that just released this week on Netflix. I do believe we've talked about it briefly before. Okay. It is a Netflix original, although it was not shot by Netflix. Netflix bought it bought and it. now has distributed it. Sure. It is called The Mayorowitz Stories. Oh, yes. New and selected. And it is the latest film by Noah Baumbach, who we have talked about some of his films before. Absolutely. Now, we can talk about the film all we want after we see it. I have not seen it yet. You I have... plan to be watching it this weekend. That's right. Man, me too. So we can possibly talk about it in a review format later on. Sure. I'm more interested, and I guess I'm kind of setting the stage for us as we get ready to watch this film. Okay. Uh, an interesting article sh- uh, showed up on the AV Club's website, so I'm going to give proper credit here. Uh, Jesse Hassinger wrote an article that I read, which I thought was just really kind of interesting. Uh, his article's titled... It's time to admit that Adam Sandler is a good actor, <laughs> which I think is funny when I first heard that because I thought Adam's, he got that recognition after Punch Drunk Love. Well, I think he had it for a short period and of time. And then he lost and it. And then he lost it. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you look at Adam Sandler, I mean, yes, when people hear Adam Sandler, they think of all the the, the dumb buddy commie movies that he does. And, and continues to do for Netflix. Yeah, and you know those Hateful things eight. get absolutely savaged by critics and even by people watching them. But yet, people watch still watch his films probably more than any other Netflix original film that comes out. Interesting. Um, and then you've got films like Pixels that you know, which is this huge, big budget movie that I don't think anybody really saw. The Do Over on Netflix, but you know, we forget about the fact that he's actually done a lot of more serious acting movies sprinkled in between them. It's just. The, the comedies seem to outweigh our vision of Adam Sandler more than the serious ones. He did Spanglish. He did Rain, saw Spanglish. Rain Over Me, Funny People. I saw that. Yeah, Men, Women, and Children. 
Um, and then, of course, Punch Drunk Love, which was had comedy to it, but it was definitely more of a serious role right. to play. So we've got this film coming up. He's getting great reviews for his performance in this the Mayerowitz uh, stories. And one of the reasons I'm really excited to see it, just I'd love to hear your. I mean, what's your t- what's your take on on Adam Sandler as an actor? Are you excited, interested to see his performance in this film? Um, you know, do you feel like he's a legitimate actor, or does he just stumble across these really serious roles, kind of by accident? You know. Yeah, hard question. I've never really been. I've I've thought he was capable of being funny on Saturday Night Live, you know, s- certain specific bits. But I guess I've never really been an Adam Sandler fan. Um, I did like him in Punch Drunk Love. I think he is capable of doing, you know, being a good actor and doing some serious stuff. I just don't think maybe the right materials come his way or, you know, I, I don't know. Um, but because of all that, Noah Baumbach, Ben Stiller, Dustin Hoffman, and you have Adam Sandler in there. I am very interested in seeing this performance, and I'm I'm excited about it. I can't wait yeah. to see it, and I I hope it is good because I know he has the potential. But I, I don't know. So yeah, I'm 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 pretty pretty stoked. I you know I want so bad for Adam Sandler to be a good actor because I feel like he's got it in him. I've seen it. Um, it excites me when I hear Adam Sandler's doing a more serious movie. That always is something I get my hopes up. Kind of the same way I felt about Eddie Murphy for a long time. Right. You know, when Eddie Murphy's movies, I felt like the comedies just kind of dried up and became really forgettable. I wanted to see every time he got attached to a movie that sounded like it was going to be a really serious, like really well acted film. I'm like, good. I'm excited. I want to see that. Dream Girls. I never got around to seeing. I heard he was pretty good in it. And then the one he did just recently that. Everybody hated. Um, right. It was kind of like a takeoff of Driving Miss Daisy or right. whatever. It was like he was a... Yeah. So it's like, you know, there's the projects floating out there. He just hasn't grabbed a hold of all the right ones yet. So right. I kind of feel the same way about Adam Sandler. I think he's talented. I think he knows how to act. And I mean, I, we've seen it. Punch Drunk Love was really good. Right. But um, I mean, I guess people just wave the paychecks and you got to go after the ones that are going to make the most money quicker. But um, I, I hope this film is good. I hope it is. Uh, everybody seems to be raving about his performance, so I'm really interested in seeing it myself. I think with Eddie Murphy, it really is. I think he has a. I think he is talented, but I think he needs the right director and he needs the right material. I don't think on his own he can elevate the material. I think he has to have a director, and the material has to be good, and then he can. He's the perfect vehicle. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> so some actors can do, you know, they could read the phone book and you'd be like, okay, that's amazing, you mm-hmm. know. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think, I, I don't know. I, I feel like both Eddie Murphy and, yeah, it's, it's a perfect, you're right. Both, and interestingly enough, both got their start on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd. I hope I hope the best for Mr. Sandler. I do too. I do too. All right. Well, we'll. I'm sure we'll be talking about this film probably in a coming episode. Chris, I'm trying to recall, and, and, and shame on me, and shame on our intern for not briefing me on this. But <laughs> I was trying to recall what your take on the movie Creed was when it came out. I liked it. You did like it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there's going to be a Creed too. Yeah, don't know how I feel about that. Well, let me throw a couple other pieces out there that may or may not <laughs> cause you to feel too good about it. Okay. Um, so the original film Creed, uh, I I really really liked as well. Uh, I thought it was great. I thought it was just a really it was the right way to do a reboot of a franchise. I mean, if you're going to do it, that was the way to do it. Right. Um, Ryan Coogler directed yes. it. 
Is he directing the sequel? No, he's not. Okay. Ryan Kilger has moved on to Black Panther for Marvel and doing some other projects. So they have announced who's going to direct Creed 2. Who? So you know Creed featured a Mr. Sylvester Stallone oh, as Rocky Balboa. Yeah, he's going to direct it. Now, Well, I don't necessarily... Did he direct like Balboa and some of that other stuff? He di- Okay, here's, here's, what, here's what Mr. Stallone has done directing-wise. Okay. He did Rocky 2. Did okay. not do the original Rocky. That was Alvin Davidson, I believe. Okay. Did Rocky 2, Rocky 3, Rocky 4, Rocky Balboa. Rocky Balboa. And then he did Rambo, which was a more contemporary update of the first Blood movie he gotcha. did in 2008. He also did the original Expendables, which I never saw either. I never saw, but, you know, honestly. You're okay with this. Yeah. All right. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm disappointed that Ryan Coogler's not doing it, but I'm not surprised. I mean, he's got, you know, he's like, I, I'm not surprised. Stallone doing it, I mean, he obviously has a lot of love for this franchise. Yeah. You know, did he write the original Rocky? He wrote the original one. Okay, yeah. that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. So, I, 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 I'm not going to run out and see it. Okay. <laughs> um, I wasn't going to run out and see Creed either, but then I heard it was really good and I did see it. Um, but it doesn't totally discourage me that he's he's involved with it. I mean, well, he is helping write this one too. Okay. So you know, I, I, now here's the one little bit I'll go before we move on that I think uh, is Michael B. Jordan's obviously still in it. Yes, because, he is. Okay. Is it just called Creed Two? Uh, I don't think they've officially announced the name. Okay. Of it. Now, if you recall in the Rocky lore, Rocky went from fighting Apollo Creed. To fighting Apollo Creed again, mm-hmm. to fighting Mr. T, Clubber Lane, <laughs> and then to fighting... The Russian. The Russian. Yes. Drago. Well, Sylvester Stallone is supposedly a big Instagram guy, so that's how he kind of connects with a lot of his fans. That's He's funny. been doing a lot of teasing about the new Creed film coming up. Okay. And he has dropped a lot of hints that there may be a certain member of the Drago line appearing in this film. So, there's a chance they're going to try to go with more of the international... Yeah, Drago was the one who killed Apollo Creed. Okay. If you remember correctly in Rock Rocky Four. I don't. I've blocked all those movies. <laughs> yeah, well, at least you're honest. <laughs> so, um, not only do I not remember correctly, I don't remember. <laughs> obviously Creed is about the son of Apollo Creed. Okay. So now the the individual who murdered his father in the ring may be playing a part in the new one too. Which I think could be actually be kind of interesting. And actually, you know it's what? It's Dolph Lundgren. So I'd be love to see Dolph Lundgren come back and play an old Grizzled father. And And you know, actually trying to handle that, if done correctly, which if Kugler was still involved, you know, but the politics of Russia right now and the politics of America, any steps that we've taken over the years, we're probably kind of back to where we were (laughs) when Russia. So it's just, I think that could be, but to handle it delicately Mm -hmm. and more humanly. Remember how in Creed, you know, the Irishman that was going to be all bad, they were kind of making, but he ended up, they humanized him. So yeah. you kind of like. It's not this caricature uh, right. villain. I would love them for them to humanize Drago. I would too. So if I they think came that's back and you kind found of. Drago is somebody that, you know, you really sell what his life is like after he did, he was a big boxing star and after he kind of was led to somebody's murder. Right. I. I think it'd be fascinating if they and like really now got his son would be going that. up again. Like, I think there's. I think that. I don't know. I think that could be good. All right. Well, we will see. Mr. Stallone, don't let us down. Let's make a good movie out of this. 
All right. And then the last thing I will just say really quick and really quick, Chris, because I am imploring you. I know you're going to be going to the movie theater over the next couple weeks at oh, some point. I think I know where this is going. Please do not watch the new Last Jedi trailer. Well, all right. I would even say cover your eyes no, and close your ears when no. you're in movie theater. So no. you've seen you've seen it. I've seen it. See, I broke down. I'm weak. I'm, I'm see. So I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to see it on the internet. I will. I You'll will not seek it, it on the, the internet. I will All leave right. the couch when it comes on during NFL football games. I'll get up and leave, which I did for the original. You know, I've, yeah. I, that's what I always do. But where I draw the line is I will not get up and walk out of the theater. Like, you know, at this not point. Not even like hear no evil, see no evil, like no, close your no, eyes, close your ears. Because okay. what I'm hoping is just like with the other trailer that came out before The Force Awakens, by the time it's actually in the theater, you're like – maybe a month away or maybe yeah. a couple well, even weeks right now we're like a, you know we're about two months away so we're not that far not so far. usually you wait like they wait just a little bit yeah. closer before it starts getting before movies so i'm gonna when i see it which i'll yeah i'll see it but i'm not gonna see it before like you okay. know and when it hits theaters then i'll see it now if if i know that it's playing like i'm not gonna go see movies because it's you know like if i can avoid it i'll avoid it but if it's playing before a movie i'll just see it i, I will say this and I i've heard not. it's good but i've heard actually there was the big thing on twitter where ryan johnson somebody asked him outright you know if i'm a fan and i want to go in completely blind should I do? he's like well you know if you really want to go in clean i'd recommend not seeing it oh. he said however it's so good like the trailer's really good and the people that i've talked to they didn't spoil anything, but they're like, yeah, the trailer's amazing, but there's some stuff in there that maybe he would I, I, I will say this, and so. I'm not spoiling anything. I'm not going to give away any aspects of it, but I think the trailer is intentionally misleading. Oh, okay. I, I, and I think Ryan Johnson's smart enough to know that. Oh, he's There are two or three moments in the trailer where they're trying to show you that something is going to happen, and I do not buy for a second that the, that the film is actually intending to do these things. What, I think it's intentionally trying to mislead you to set up some different expectations. What's so crazy is my kids know how I am about this stuff. And my, you know, they released the trailer like flat. Well, I mean, it doesn't matter. They released the trailer the very next day. My son goes to school and it was like the end of the day, his science teacher, the last like five minutes of class, he shut off the lights, turned on the projector, and showed them the trailer. That is an awesome science teacher. Absolutely. Yep. So then my son comes home, he's like, Dad, I've seen the trailer. I'm like, nope. <laughs> I don't want to hear anything. <laughs> Silence. So, yeah. yeah. But he and he said, it was good. Like he was telling me. So yeah. Uh it it looks like it's going to be a very interesting chapter in this saga. Cool. I will say that. I'm very excited about Mr. Ryan Johnson directing a Star Wars movie. But yes, the trailer. Um, and you know you can, what? If you can hold off, hold off. I'm even more excited. I am excited. You know, from the time we heard he was directing this one, we reviewed, I think we, Looper, we did review Looper mm -hmm. on here. I've recommended Brothers Bloom. Um, I really like him as a director. I am so excited that he was doing this, but I'm even more excited about what he's doing after this, which I have no idea what that is. But. Because he'll have the clout, assuming this movie goes oh, well, yeah. oh. he's going to have, basically, he's, the checkbook will be open. They'll he say, yeah, what do you want to do? I am so this. excited about that because I feel like he is very talented and can't wait for him to have carte blanche to do whatever he wants. So, All right. Good deal. Well, that is our news. So let's move right into the final section of our show where we do our recommendations. Just for, as a reminder what we do, Chris and I both kind of comb through our our viewing library and viewing history, or either we've stumbled across a film recently or one that we thought about and is a film that may have been overlooked, may have been forgotten, may need to be checked out. 
uh, may be on your radar or, or needs to be on your radar. And we really do try to strive to make sure it's a film or something that you can view online so you don't have to go worry about trying to hunt this down or wait for it. So with that being said, Chris, how about if it's okay with you, I'm going to go first. And sure. And I'll kick it over to you. Take it away. For yours. So we talked about Mr. Tom Cruise earlier. Mr. Cruise. Mr. Cruise. And it, it got me thinking nostalgically about Tom Cruise. Um, <laughs> for some reason, Chris, I am the, the, the representative in our show for Mr. Cruise filmography, if you think about it. I was the one who went to go see The Mummy. It was me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I went to go see The Mummy. And I God, came God out of bless it, you. I'm glad somebody. I did. came out of it finding whatever positives I could, and I tried to at least be. It fair. was kind of like one of your anti recommendations. It was. Things. Yeah. It was more of a fight the, the system that's telling it's you not, not to go see this movie. It, it's think. not a train wreck. It just was <laughs> not good, but it wasn't the worst film of you know, all time. It's so a model I'm, train wreck, so I, but it's, it's not a, a little train model wreck. train. Yeah, you know, like four or five cars. Sure. Not a huge, gigantic pileup. Got you. I, uh, so I, I, I tend to go to bat for Mr. Cruz more than maybe the, the average film goer because I do think there's a lot of great memories with his, his filmography and just you know, films that really stand out to me. But I realize that you know, I, I shouldn't go back and just say, oh, well, everybody needs to go out and see you know, Minority Report, which is a great film. And it's actually one I did catch back up with recently. And okay. it's really good, and it holds up. Holds up? Uh, the CGI doesn't hold up as well. Okay. But the story is still really good, and I think gotcha. it's extremely well made. It's probably the most anti-Spielberg firm, film that Steven Spielberg's ever done from mm. a style and personality, and it's just it's dark it and is dark. grimy, and it's, you know. Um, but I can't, I can't say that's my recommendation because everybody saw Minority Report when it came out. It was a big film. A film that I don't think enough people saw that I still think need some credit from Mr. Top Cruise. Gun. <laughs> yes. There's this film called Top Gun. <laughs> and it is amazing. <laughs> Nobody saw it. <laughs> um, no, it's not that. It, it, it's the film uh, Far and Away. Yeah. Far I and just Away. Know the Enya song. Far and Away <laughs> is a film that at the time was, didn't get the best critical reaction. It didn't make tons of money. It was at the time kind of considered a little bit of a letdown for Mr. Cruz because he was just riding high from all these big movies beforehand. He had just been doing uh, uh, Cocktail, Color of Money, Rain Man, Born on the Fourth of July, even Days of Thunder. So he was like, this is like prime time Tom Cruise. Then he did Far and Away with his future wife, Nicole Kidman. Now, that was their first. She wasn't in Days of Thunder? Uh, she was in Days of Thunder, but okay. I don't think they had been married yet at the okay. time of doing this. I'm not really sure. But then I, they do Far and Away. I don't really care about his personal life. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to go ahead Which and say. Which probably helps you appreciate I Tom Cruise. I don't follow actors' personal lives at all. I don't right. care. I just okay. want to see what they put Fair up enough. on the screen. Fair enough. So I think Far and Away, directed by Ron Howard, which is a little bit of my connection to the Star Wars story, because, of course, he is now the new director of Solo, which the Han Solo movie coming out soon. They, have they said director for nine yet? Uh, for episode nine? Yeah. Yeah, J.J. Abrams. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah returning to the known quantity. Yep. J.J. Abrams. <sighs> so anyway, ta- uh, Ron Howard directed ta- Far and Away. I will say I recommend it because at the time I really, really liked this film when it came out. Okay. It's a sprawling, big, epic film, much in the same style of, uh, you know, uh, Gone with the Wind or some other where it's sprawling and it takes place over many years and it's landscapes and it's all about, you know, something that happened true in his- history, but they put a fictional characters in this historical side of things. Basically, it's a young Irish couple flee to the United States and when they have a gigantic land grab out in, out in the West, 
they're going to make it in America. So they come out here just for the purpose of going on this big land grab to grab a piece of land and set up their life there. And that's really, it goes, it's almost, you know, two and a half, three hours. It's long. It's, you know, a lot of scenery, a lot of interesting characters, a lot of historical elements to it. Okay. Tom Cruise, uh, does he pull off the, the accent all the way through the Irish accent? Not successfully, but at least he's trying. <laughs> he put in a good effort. He gets um, an A for effort. He get, I think Nicole Kidman is actually really good in this film. I okay. think she, she kind of outshines Mr. Cruise throughout the film. But I just think it's a good throwback type of film. It's the kind of film that, you know, you don't have to necessarily watch from start to finish. You can, like, tune it on when it's on and kind of you know, enjoy a part of it. And then, you know, even if you don't get the full experience, it's a well-crafted film. Hmm. It's shot for some really high aspirations. It didn't quite make them. Uh, and there's, you know, it's not the, the best film in the world at that year. But I admire what they were trying to do with it. And I think in general they pulled off most of it pretty well. So... I'm saying as a recommendation while we're on the subject of Tom Cruise, that's probably a film that got the least amount of attention in his filmography that I think deserved a little more than it got. So that's my recommendation. Far and away by Mr. Ron Howard. Chris, what is your recommendation for us? So I revisited this film earlier this year. Um, It is Frailty. It was a film from 2001 Mm. directed by Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton passed away earlier this year. Um, He directs this film and stars in it. And the reason I'm recommending it is because it is a crime drama thriller. Some people would actually call it a horror movie. Um, And we are in October. Halloween's coming up. So Mm -hmm. this could be one you could watch. The simple synopsis is a man confesses to an FBI agent his family's story of how his religious fanatic's father's visions led to a series of grisly murders that were supposed to destroy supposed demons that the mm. father would see in his visions. So this is not one for the family. Um, I can but, imagine. But, uh, yeah, but with Halloween coming up and, like, you know, if you like the thriller, crime, drama type uh, movie, um, I think it was pretty impressive. I didn't know prior to like he passed away somebody mentioned oh yeah bill paxton directed this i was like do what like you know Mm -hmm. a had never seen it i was like well and he's in it so i was like okay so shame that he didn't direct more bill paxton people Mm -hmm. know him from twister he was um in aliens and was really good in aliens that's what he was chet and weird science he was (laughs) chet and weird science (laughs) um but you know i always know him as hudson from aliens like that's how i always think of him um but He's uh, in Frailty. He's good. And what's, like I say, what's impressive is he also directed it. So yeah. not for everyone. It is, you know. Is it scary? I feel like it is, yeah. Okay. And it's it's scary, too, because it's just really dark and kind yeah. of what's going on in it. And you kind of don't know where it's going. Um, but uh, And not scary like, you know, Freddy Krueger type scary. Well, I mean, Freddy um, but- Krueger's not scary, but... <laughs> I haven't seen it in a long time, but when I saw the original Nightmare on Elm Street, I was okay, scared well, the out of my original, mind. All right, the original, I'll give a little bit more credit. The original, well, that was a little scary. Okay. But um, anyways, that's uh, Frailty. It's uh, available online if you're interested, you know, because of Halloween or you like crime drama thriller type stuff. Not for everyone. It is dark, but uh, I suggest checking it out. Did you know? Okay, so I'm just looking this up now. Bill Paxton actually directed two films. Okay. Um, the second one, I remember when it came out, it was uh, The Greatest Game Ever Played. In 2005, with Shia LaBeouf, uh, huh. it was about a uh, U.S. Open golf champion back in 1913. Um, so he directed that one as well. But that, yeah, probably got even less that. attention than, right. than Frailty did. But that's the only two, other than a couple short films he did. That was the only uh, two two feature films he directed. Very so, interesting. Yeah. So yeah. 
All right. Well, that is our show. So we had uh, some reviews, Marjorie Prime and Blade Runner 2049 getting very enthusiastic, positive reviews. Um, American Made, uh, a lukewarm review from me. I think it may be worth checking out, but I wouldn't go running to the theater to do so. And then we talked about some movie news. Uh, We talked about uh, Mr. Uh, Adam Sandler. We talked about Creed and Sylvester Stallone. Then we had our recommendations, which was Frailty by Bill Paxton and Far and Away by Mr. Ron Howard, starring Mr. Tom Cruise. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Uh, Chris, if somebody heard us talking about Sylvester Stallone and thought that maybe we weren't either being fair to the guy or not giving him (laughs) enough credit... Uh, where should they go or how should they try to get a hold of us to let us know their opinions? Best way is to send an email at info at f- no. Oh, well, you could do that. You could do that. <laughs> that comes to more the film society. <laughs> There's just no, a lot of ways no. to do it. You could do info at fuckcandle.org, but probably the better way would to be to send one to info at the mesh.tv and flag it as um, Candle films and we'll read it and we'll, you know, talk about it and say how we have maybe given Mr. Sylvester Stallone short shrift. So actually, I, you know what, guys, I kind of feel like Chris is really not doing very well with Mr. Tom Cruise. And I, I need some backup support on this. <laughs> Tell so me how anybody wants to write, you know, if we get a really good email from somebody that has a really good argument for why Tom Cruise, why I should continue to champion Tom Cruise and why Chris needs to, <laughs> Chris needs to come down off his high horse on Tom Cruise a little bit. Please send me that note so I can read that, read that on the air. Uh, if, if you don't ever hear me read a note on the air, then that means know. we got nobody coming to support Mr. <laughs> Cruise. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, so check out our show on TheMesh.TV. Come back and listen for future episodes. But remember, please go and uh, subscribe if you want to make sure you don't miss anything. And we also encourage you to give us some feedback and reviews on iTunes as well so other people can help find us on the podcast store there. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Chris, take care, man. Good Thanks. seeing you as always. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.